I'm Emily Almond, Kia Company's um, Operations Manager, and this webinar is a great link for me as my other life as, <laughs> as an immunologist. I'm very pleased to be your moderator today, but the information surrounding the Influencer Quadrant will be conducted by the expert on the topic, Duncan Chappell. Thank you. I'm going to I'm going to uh, use more of my expertise by clicking the down button. So, so just as a point of introduction, um, Emily, you've kind of introduced yourself already a little bit, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, and and I'm I'm Duncan Chapel. I'm the research director for the Influencer Quadrant. So I'll be doing the science bit uh, in uh, in today's webinar. Please feel free to ask any questions. We really welcome your input um, at all times and we'll answer any queries at the end in about an hour's time. Um, you can do it in the chat and questions tabs, which should be on your screen right now. Um, just as a housekeeping issue, please, please keep any devices, phones, tablets, laptops on silent just so we don't disturb any other viewers. As way of a little introduction to the topic, Digital health will be the main theme of today's key findings, which will be presented later on. I had the opportunity to speak with a business analyst at AstraZeneca a few weeks ago, and he was kind of the one that implanted this idea of digital research into my um, digital health, rather, into my scope of research. Um, it's a field that encompasses many interdisciplinary areas, computer science being a major one, um, and it aids in has advantage of both long-term biological research and also real-time aid for a patient with um, cardiovascular problems, for example, or point-of-care diagnostics. It includes products that will be familiar, such as Fitbits, um, and there's a massive range of futuristic devices um, that will be able to monitor patients remotely from across the world. AI, Internet of Things, big data and machine learning are not your traditional biologically related concepts, but are making a huge impact in today's healthcare market. The Influencer Quadrant built by Duncan, um, it, companies, it shows company profiles which are on the rise and those which are experiencing also a decline in their dominance in the eyes of the industry analyst researchers. These companies are vendors and service providers in the pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, healthcare, medical devices, and diagnostic markets. Within life sciences, we track around 200 uh, brands, and today we'll focus on around the top 10%. The quadrant displays these firms based on the size of their profile, along with the volume of mentions they have received, i.e. the share of voice or awareness. Um, this is naturally aligned with good outcomes for the company because of obviously favorability and therefore the influencer quadrant is an excellent tool for being able to compare a company to company within the same industry trying to achieve the same thing. This is especially true for Kia Company due to the fact that we've been researching these companies for such a long time. So really it's the change in their share of voice and their market dominance that's important to us. So what I want to do is kind of step through some of the methodology of the of the of the IQ, and uh, as you can read on the slide, so I want to talk about what it is, why we do it, how we do it, what we want to do with it, what we don't want to do with it, and then later on I'll, I'll hand over to to Emily to step through the key findings. So firstly, just to say something about what the magic quadrant is and and what we what we aim to to do with it so as as emily's said it, it's tracking it's tracking share of voice and that is uh 
absolutely frequency of mentions. Are you being mentioned more often? Are you being mentioned less often? Are you being uh, mentioned um, uh, uh, and are the number of mentions increasing or decreasing? Have they increased or have they decreased uh, over, the, over the preceding time period? So the quadrant is broken up into four, uh, four boxes as, as quadrants tend to be. And they follow, in a way, the life cycle of uh, uh, the life cycle of an organisation as it drifts up and through its maturity, and then it declines. Well, initially, we start off with spring. This is where organisations initially have got quite a, a low profile in research being written about life sciences. But although it's a relatively low profile, that profile is increasing. It's increased over the last twelve months. If your firm is in the spring quadrant. In summer, these are the organizations that are in the strongest position. They're the organizations that have a, a relatively high profile. They have more share of voice now than they had uh, 12 months ago. But of course, this summer can't continue uh, forever. Eventually, we move into, uh, into autumn. So this is a period where you have a, still a relatively high profile, but that profile is starting to decline. Uh, somewhat, and then eventually winter is coming. Eventually, you end up with 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 relatively low profile. That decreasing share of voice uh, continues over time until you end up in the in the uh, in the winter quadrant. Of course, not all organisations follow exactly the same uh, process. Uh, some organisations might, you know, they, they they might move in a different order. Uh, between uh, between these quadrants, but this is the general pattern that we see, not only in life sciences, but in all of the uh, segments that we use for the influencer uh, quadrant. So we use it, we place organizations on this quadrant using research from analyst firms. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the methodology uh, later on. But what the quadrant is based on is profile of these brand names in analyst research. We're looking quite simply at how many uh, mentions there are of that brand have been made in the 12 months and then comparing that with the 12 months before that. We're able to do this with the advantage of an of a absolutely impressive uh, base of data. We've been building studies like this since 2003, really in this period of building a long longitudinal index comparing the brand names of, uh, of firms. And the advantage of it is that it's simple. It's so simple, you can explain it to your boss and your boss can explain it to her boss. And it is simply about profile in research. It's simply showing you whether that profile is higher or lower than other firms, whether it is rising or, or falling. So let me step on a little bit more to, uh, to talk through uh, how, how we do it and why we do it. Before I do that, I'm gonna take a sip of my tea and also just say, if there are any questions, please feel free to type your questions onto the questions tab, uh, chat, you can chat even on the chat tab. Uh, you know, we'll even be, I think, quite flexible if you wanna chat on the questions tab or, Ask questions on the chat tab. You know there, there'll be there'll be no punishments. Punishments for that. So why is the IQ needed? 
Well, basically, what we find is that many organizations don't have a good idea of how they're being mentioned all the way through the analyst uh, research um, world. Um, in a parallel study, the analyst value study, the analyst value survey, we look at which firms are being, uh, which firms are being used uh, by, by decision makers, by professionals. And what we find is that on, on, on average, people who are using analyst firms use around six firms. Uh, but actually only about half of the use pathways, this is what we talk about, uh, you know, imagine I use eight firms and Amy uses 10 firms together, we've got 18 use channels, use pathways. Um, only about half of these are actually people who are in organizations that subscribe to that firm. And although Gartner is the most influential firm by itself that has almost a quarter of all of the analyst value being generated in the market, actually Gartner is only about 7% of all of these use cases. Now, of course, we talk a lot about Gartner, it's the biggest firm, people have to focus on it, but actually there's a massive plurality of analyst organizations that are being used. And that plurality is even stronger in, in relatively specialized uh, niche uh, areas. A lot of the people who, who use our data are analyst relations professionals, and they're trying to work out which are the analyst firms that are being used the most by, by buyers, by journalists, by investors, by, by regulators, by some stakeholders or, or other. And what we find is that people are very focused on the top tier firms. So here's a chart showing uh, the volume of research being written about a particular brand by the uh, analyst firms that, that it follows. The top firm is Gartner, the second firm I believe is, is, is IVC, the next one is Forrester. But even these three firms together, they represent about half of the research being written about that firm. Two thirds of the research are being written by, by other firms. And that means that firstly, that Gartner research, which is so hard to win voice in, so hard to shift the opinion of a Gartner analyst, the average Gartner analyst is, is speaking to, has got twice as many contacts every month as somebody who works at Forrester. And a Forrester analyst has got even more contacts than somebody who works at a, at a, at a smaller firm, a firm in the second or third, third tier. However, organizations are really focused on trying to influence and follow what these top two or three analysts are, are doing and are saying, but there's a whole world of influence that they're not aware of and that they're not trying to influence. And that's why we produce the Influencer Quadrant to track the, the plurality of analyst research that's being used by your audience. Um, this differs a little bit according to the maturity of the analyst relations program or uh, according to the market intelligence stakeholders that these people are working with when they're accessing this kind of data. We believe most analyst relations effort is wasted because people are spending a lot of time on, on greedy analysts, uh, squeaky wheel that gets the oil sort of sort of analysts who get more time than their influence would, would justify. And a lot of analyst teams just don't have the, the energy or the effort, uh, the resources that they would need to try to build really close relationships. But there's also a problem with, with measurement that many organizations are doing no measurement or their measurements are PR centric or they are simply measuring their own activity rather than what the analysts are doing. Even at the most advanced layer, 
if people are doing share reverse calculations, typically they are only measuring one or two or three firms and one or two or three of their competitors. Very few organizations are really able to have a strategic knowledge of the relative influence of the top tier, the second tier, and the third tier. Very few firms are adequately allocating resources between those three different groups. They're not really able to track the share of voice. And this is even more profound in the sorts of vertical markets that we're tracking with the influencer quadrant, like life sciences or, or, or heavy industry, even in technology, media, and communications. We find share of voice data is the most effective way to help organizations to understand that because it is it's easy, it's unobtrusive. We don't have to uh, telephone people and ask them how often they are writing about you. We're able to count how often they are writing about you. So it's really powerful for tracking firms in, in the long tail. So how do we how do we do it? Clearly, a, a lot of tea must be involved since we're in England, <laughs> since we're in Britain. Um, well, it, it's it's centered around uh, the index. So the index is something that, that my colleagues and I developed in 2002 as a way of tracking and comparing the benchmark, uh, the, the benchmarking, the number of mentions of firms in the research of a very large number of firms. In 2006, very long time ago, actually, we developed the index. So the index is a, a resource that is tracking a, around I think something like 800 analyst firms. Of course, not all of those are in life science. There's around 200 firms that we're tracking, uh, analyst firms that are writing research in, in life science. And, and we're tracking in the index the profile of several hundred brands. And again, only about 200 of those brands are, are really mentioned with any noticeable frequency in research about life sciences. But we've been tracking this research for, um, for a dozen years. And then in 2012, we developed the Influencer Quadrant as a way of trying to show this information in a more uh, comparable, easy to digest way that even your boss's boss can understand. Uh, there is a process. So in the current Influencer Quadrant, we track lots of firms, but not all firms actually had enough data for us to be able to do anything with. So actually only 477 of the brands that we tracked had uh, kind of calculable calculable volumes of data in terms of having some research in the last year and some research in the year before that. So we can compare the ratio between the, the two of them. We're always seeing brands dying and being created, a lot of effort to try to do that. We subtract from that the firms that, are, that shouldn't be there. And then that gives us a long list. We end up with about 150 firms that have got uh, very reliable volumes of data. So, you know, you, 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 we might have data in both years, but maybe you had like four mentions in one year and two uh, review, two mentions in another year. Okay, so maybe your profile doubled, but uh, <laughs> I, I think we, we don't really want to draw attention to that. We focus on the 150 firms in our calculations, and then out of that, we draw out the firms with more than 1% of the share of voice. Typically, that's around 30 top brands with more than 1% of the, of the share of voice. And what we're extracting are the mentions of each of these brands in each category. So as we, there are three categories that we publish uh, publicly uh, and Life Sciences and the other two have got around 200 analyst firms. 
And then what we do is with this number of mentions, we convert it into share of voice. So we're basically taking all these numbers, turning it into 100% and then comparing things in that way, comparing the last 12 months against the 12 months before. These 192 firms are not identical. Yeah? Some of these firms are very different and the vast bulk of the research is produced by tier one firms. These are the largest firms, the most productive firms. They're the firms that you're aware of, that you are targeting. They are probably firms that you are measuring. So a really good example of that is IDC. Then underneath that are tier two firms. So I've used global data as, as an example of that. So that's you know a firm that people are probably aware of. Uh, in our analyst firm awards, which is a, a parallel, a parallel uh, study that is based on our analyst value survey, so Global Data is one of the firms that wins one uh, that that wins uh, uh, that, that is one of the winners of the analyst firm awards. So it's like a big enough firm to be on the radar, but probably people are not like stalking that firm. They're not obsessively building one-to-one -one relationships with it. They might not be measuring what they do with them. And then beyond that is this massive long tail, these tier three firms. As an example, I've picked out uh, Inkwood. And, and this tier three is actually very diverse in, in business models. Uh, many of the firms are engaged in very low volume market analysis, very careful, diligent expertise. And then other of these firms, well, I'm not saying they're not diligent, but shall we say that some of these firms are more high volume, they're more like market research. So we're gathering all of this different uh, insight into the, into the influencer quadrant. What are we aiming to do with it? Well, let me drill down in a little bit more depth. So as I've said, it, it, it's simple. Yeah? There's no weighting, there's no tonality, there's no running averages, all of that is you know, evil math that we've used in other studies, especially in our, mind, in, our, in our Mindshare benchmark. And because of the way that we like to use 12 months and comparing that against 12 months, it's immune to the seasonality that you get around uh, annual uh, reports or end of year uh, filings. And it's also terribly robust. I mean, the, the volumes of data that we have are, are, are huge, really, really, uh, I mean, you know, tens of thousands or I think at least 10,000 mentions are used in, in all of our influencer uh, quadrants. The, the volume of data makes this a really robust and confident uh, uh, tool uh, for, for people to be able to, to work with. And it can be segmented. So as I mentioned, there are these three uh, freemium quadrants, which we, which we make available on uh, on our, on our blog, uh, influencerrelations.com. Uh, but then we also have got premium uh, influencer quadrants where we're using this data and we're delivering it to clients who want to get hold of that. So having said that, what, what does the influencer quadrant not try to do? Because it's absolutely not the only tool that anybody needs and it doesn't answer every problem. So firstly, it's not the analyst mindshare benchmark. So the analyst mindshare benchmark is also based on the, uh, on the index, but it weights each firm according to its different impact on sales. And of course, the impact that each firm has on sales is gonna be different for each firm because each vendor is selling at a different part of the market into different vertical markets. Uh, it's uh, different price points. So, uh, so there's no one size fits all way of calculating 
uh, accurately, perfectly accurately, uh, the impact that each firm has. So the analyst mindshare benchmark is, is customized, it's segmented, it's filtered. You can add in your own competitors, add in analyst firms that maybe we're not tracking normally in the, uh, in the influencer quadrant. And it's also not the analyst attitude survey. So it's not tracking tonality. It's not tracking analysts in a qualitative way. It's not saying if these mentions are positive or, or negative. So I'm now going to talk about the key findings from our influencer quadrant research. So this is the publication of our life sciences influencer quadrant. When I first looked at this, I was really surprised to see that at the very top of the spring box we have LinkedIn. For me, that was a big surprise. And their voice, their share of voices soaring. They also have a profile that's absolutely not to be sniffed at. It's it's looking great. Investigating this, I kind of developed the theory that potentially given the private nature of research in life sciences, maybe LinkedIn needs to be used more to gain connections, to ask people for their opinion on the research that's being done. And that is the way that a lot of the reports that has been mentioned in comes through. It says, for example, that LinkedIn has been used to gain this um, interviewee, for example. Um, it could therefore be theorised that influencer marketing through sites such as LinkedIn is actually more important in the life sciences sector than the other two um, segments that we cover in the influencer quadrant research. Google is the next um, notably dominant com company in the quadrant and their profile is, as expected, ever so slightly higher than LinkedIn and their short share of voice is also really impressive. Google's cloud platform is being utilised all over the world um, as a solution for various life sciences management issues. The Swiss Pharma and Diagnostic Company Roche is using Google's uh, G Suite, which is kind of an all-in-one encompassing management, um, hangout, talking to people um, platform online. And Roche is using it for all of its employees, um, which is they're looking into healthcare research to kind of collaborate and make it easier to communicate and see results clearly. Amazingly, Google even advertises its Hangout platform as a way for doctors and patients to meet virtually um, or to just type things to each other. So it really is kind of a diagnostic and um, constant monitoring tool that is being used across the world. Of course, Google is also rising in voice due to the medical applications that are available and being sold on their Google Play Store, which is, of course, the same as Apple. Excitingly for Apple in particular, the telehealth market is due to expand to over $13 billion by 2023, and Apple already has a really firm footing in this. And wearable devices, for example, and medical sensors are being used to remotely monitor patients, releasing the stress on the physical healthcare infrastructure. And of course, for example, in the UK, the NHS makes it just that wee bit easier. The brand new update of the Apple Watch, which was just released a couple of weeks ago, maybe, um, this really beautifully illustrates the concept because um, the health tracker is constantly tracking. It will actually alert you if your heart rate changes significantly or it thinks anything unusual is going on. Qualcomm is another significant riser and they appeared, amongst others, as a major global player for the Internet of Things. This encompasses the growth of telemedicine, which I just mentioned, which overcomes the barrier of distance in um, healthcare. 
Global funding um, is accelerating the application of IoT in pretty much every industry. Um, and as a market, it has a compound annual growth rate of just under 30%. So it is massive and healthcare is really taking up a lot of that sector. Microsoft, Cisco and IBM are also major companies in the IoT, IoT arena, which you can see also in the quadrant as well. Of course, artificial intelligence can't really go unmentioned in this talk. Um, it's got a compound annual growth rate of 40 percent. It's absolutely massive. And um, Google, IBM, Microsoft, Intel and GE Healthcare are all massively getting involved with that in the healthcare industry. Big data, et cetera. Computer science is really going in. Um, now, if we move on to the far right of the quadrant, you'll see Philips pretty much on its own section right there. Philips and Canon are major players in the medical imaging sector, which includes x-rays, CT and PET scans, ultrasounds and the like. But Philips appeared to be working on their marketing significantly more than Canon. And in actual fact, VPG Market Research released a series of papers about how exactly they get their status. They really were um, saying how amazing their marketing is being. So clearly, Canon appears to be more of a middleman that's producing these amazing products, but aren't kind of delivering it to the very last step and marketing the products in their final, final way. Philips is also a major company in point of care diagnostics, along with Siemens, who are also placed on the right hand side, just in the autumn section there. Um, this helps to explain both of their large profiles as point of care diagnostics, which is kind of for diabetes, infection, um, things that can be done on site, was estimated to be worth $20.2 billion all the way back in 2016. And of course, you can imagine that area is just going to be expanding. So all of the companies that have these major investments already and have been for a couple of years in the um, kind of tech areas of healthcare are rising and rising. And I think definitely the most notable um, for life sciences in particular, um, which is kind of an offhand bit, is LinkedIn, which was really surprising to me. And I think it's quite nice to know that it is being utilised a lot more in healthcare to be able to create connections and get to know everyone in the sector. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we can see there the rise in share of voice, LinkedIn, Google and Qualcomm, which I mentioned. And then um, we have the falling from Amazon, HP, IBM and SAS. IBM are being mentioned an awful lot, but I think they're not maybe like Philips, they're not they're um rather than marketing a lot, they're doing a more of a canon approach where they know that they can create these great products and they don't need to have a massive share of voice because their profile is so large. Mm. I also know IBM's had a big reorganization, which mm. you know maybe is gonna lead to good results, but obviously reorganization's always a little bit disruptive yeah. in yeah. the in the in the short term. Mm. Um it's probably also worth mentioning some of the firms that have that are either rising towards the quadrant or, or falling yeah. or falling out of it. So uh, BT, British Telecom, uh, and like most telecommunications companies, I suppose is doing more and more uh, uh, on on health as health becomes more more mobile, as you've been as you've been mentioning. Yeah, uh, and uh, Cognizant also has been a provider of uh, many kind of uh, key. Uh, turnkey applications for the healthcare sector, business process uh, outsourcing in particular for, for large healthcare uh, organizations. On the, on the other side with uh, Veritas and, uh, and Atos, 
I think in a way that therefore is probably reflecting the, 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 same, the same factors which are driving other organizations down, uh, that it's simply kind of pivoting away from more vertical analysts towards uh, higher profile, more prestigious analyst firms. I think I think that is part of the um, that's part of the push towards tiering that is helping organizations to be more economical and to try to do more with less and to try to focus more on the most influential analysts. And then I think vertical analysts kind of suffer from that, especially if they're in, in, in more focused organizations. Um, we drill into the uh, into the data in the influencer quadrant a little bit more on the next slide. So these are amazingly enough exactly the same uh, data as in as in the influencer quadrant. It's just that the influencer quadrant uses a logarithmic scale uh, so that it's square, and then you know it fits really nicely on on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, whereas this uses uh, a natural scale. And I think that gives a better sense of how big the differences are between these kind of powerhouse mainstream players mm -hmm. that are the go-to uh, organizations that uh, folk will turn to if they want to know uh, about the, the future for healthcare. An organization like Siemens, you know, is a, is a huge provider of solutions to the life sciences industry, not only of, of specialized healthcare uh, solutions like medical imaging, but of course Siemens is also there providing uh, power and infrastructure and uh, you know I mean uh, everything you know Siemens <laughs> is the kind of organization that you can go to and it can build a whole city out of uh, out of the out of the uh, out of the Siemens warehouse. Uh, so there's a there's a huge amount of leverage there and and the same uh, with, uh, with with Philips and and the insight that Philips has in a wide range of domains also means that you know for example you know Philips knows about about lighting and with solutions like Philips Hue they're looking at the way that lighting uh, can be used for wellness and uh, and for health so the synergies in these large organizations with their incredible capacities really mean that these these firms that are the largest really push out a long way uh, in in front uh, but the, the the chart would just be way too crowded if we if we use the a natural scale what's a little bit more interesting is to look a little bit below the firms that got into the influencer quadrant the firms that 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 aren't quite uh, powerhouses in the in the in the research uh, share share of voice. So there we can we can see a BT as we mentioned an organization that is rising. That's that's why it's up there in basically the summer part of the of the quadrant down there. We've got we've got the Veritas, Atos organizations which have fallen in Atos's case quite deeply uh, fallen as they pivoted uh, away. But then you can also see there's a, a really good spread, a wide spread there. Of, of organizations in the second tier. We don't really have this thing of having profound leadership, uh, extreme inequality. Any of these organizations could easily push forward and get more traction in research from uh, industry analysts focused on life science or writing research around the life sciences. I'm just gonna take a bit more tea and then come through to some recommendations. 
So what does this all mean for um, communications uh, professionals? In all of the, uh, in, in, in every study we do actually, um, market intelligence professionals and analyst relations professionals seem to um, underestimate the, the influence and the audience for the firms that aren't Gartner. And, and, and also, you know, it absolutely is the case that Gartner and Forrester and IDC might have half of the audience in, in many markets, but lots of people talk about these firms as if, you know, Gartner has three quarters of the audience and Forrester and IDC have the next um, uh, 20% and, and you can ignore everybody else. And actually that's, that's just not the case. What our research shows is that people are, are putting a lot of time and, and money into the most demanding firms, not just the big firms, but also the firms that rely a lot on suppliers, phone them in, in a very demanding way, sell a lot of services to, uh, to them. And actually there's a big competitive advantage available for people who allocate their effort to analysts more or less in line with the value that their audience is, 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 is getting. You know, if you're able to um, be consuming the same research that your customers are consuming, if you're able to uh, allocate effort to these different analyst firms more or less in line with the seriousness that your clients give to these different firms, then things will be more efficient. It is extremely hard to do that. It's extremely hard to win an internal argument to reallocate resources or to pay more attention, for example, to vertical specialized analysts rather than the, the full service generalist uh, analyst firms. But of course, we think a big part of the, of the solution is to understand the need to reallocate effort, simply understanding that the problem is there, simply understanding that the opportunity uh, is there and and then to understand what would flow from that you know what flows from that is to bring into alignment the value that your audience gets from analysts and then your own awareness of those uh, of those firms but you can't do that unless you're tracking these other firms you know everybody is aware of what's going on with the top tier firms Many people are not tracking tier two and tier three. They're often unaware of the growing influence of these firms. They're often simply unaware of these firms. Uh, I mean, frankly, it's, uh, it's, it's not even the case uh, that it's only uh, professionals who are unaware of these analyst firms. I was speaking yesterday to a telecommunications analyst in, in North America who hadn't heard of Ovum. So Ovum, if you don't know, is one of the four biggest uh, analyst firms in the telecoms industry. So it's very easy for people to kind of get into a little silo, and uh, you know, there's there's no uh, you know there's no reason why people shouldn't be ignorant of things that they've never had to encounter. But sometimes people aren't aware of that. They aren't aware of what they of what they don't know. We think that if you use this kind of information, then you have the opportunity to rethink the service levels that you are allocating. Without that, you only have obstacles. Without that knowledge, you can't reallocate your effort. You can't turn away from the squeaky wheels. If, if you only measure the tier one analysts, then you'll only ever pay attention to them. In particular, we think it's really important to understand that the, the readership of analyst research is quite different as the, the revenue that is going from readers to analysts. 
most analyst research is being consumed for free. Most people who are reading research are getting it for free off the off the, off the internet. Mm -hmm. So if you're just focused on the firms that are making the most money from your customers, you'll be looking at a, at a minority of the audience. You'll be looking at a relatively small part of the value that, that your competitors and your clients are realizing from the analyst community. And you will be blinkering yourself to the opportunity to get alternative perspectives and to be able to find other paths to influence the market and to accelerate sales. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, draw, draw comments uh, together uh, now. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking, Emily, is there anything that you wanted to add or any, any last thoughts from, from you? I just, I really think that, I mean, doing the research for this, as you said, all of the companies that haven't actually made it onto the influencer quadrant, they're so close together and really there's so much potential for growth and you kind of, I mean, these are mainly ICT companies and if they can just lock on to the thing that they're most strong at and delve into the healthcare um, position like Google has done, I mean, there's so much potential. It yeah. really is. Yeah, like absolutely. Google doing the um, hangouts for doctors and patients, that yeah. surprised me so much. And yeah. I think it's fascinating the fact that really that could be our, our yeah. future. I mean, with the healthcare industry, like physically um, struggling to cope, yes. then it could be a really viable option. Totally, yeah. I think the I think so many organizations are verticalizing the way that they sell, mm -hmm. but I see very few organizations that are verticalizing analyst relations or market intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a kind of disconnect between the way that organizations increasingly, you know, they need to have more domain knowledge. They need to be able to, uh, have more like a, a challenger sale or a partner sale where they understand domain problems, yeah. but actually analyst relations is still like very, uh, it's, it's, it's very horizontal rather than vertical. You know, yeah, it's really yeah. focused on individual solutions as if they're different. Yeah. And what we see in the, in the, in the growing reach of this vertical research, the growing impact of this vertical research is that of course, uh, business people want answers to speak to their problems. And that's yeah. why it's so important to track the research that's really being used by them. Mm -hmm. And to understand that the share of voice might be uh, a, a key measure, and uh, not just how frequently you're mentioned in research, but how often you're going to be mentioned in conversations when mm -hmm. analysts are recommending True, which yeah. suppliers you should be buying. Yeah, just informal, informal mentions. Absolutely. A lot as well. So I, I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna leave it there. Um, I, 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 if I could if I could skillfully slide back to the email to, to the slide with our with our, with our email addresses. Oh, let me do that. Super. <laughs> Here we are again. So uh, again, if you if you've got questions about about um, uh, about the domain, about what's going on in life sciences, uh, problems in in, in in immunology or, uh, or, or or biotechnology more broadly, nothing to do with analysts. Yeah. Uh, then, then send them to uh, emily.armand at kiacompany.com. If you want to know about our methodology or about other uh, markets, if you want to uh, get your firm to subscribe to the influencer quadrants or buy the influencer quadrants for other uh, for other markets, then then rush to to email me at uh, at kia.com. Thank you so much for for joining us today. There will be a replay of the webinar up after we've cut the beginning and the end of the, of the webinar. Uh, we appreciate your time and we look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, bye-bye. <laughs>